before we get started, um, if you have Clubhouse, please follow Right Boundless. Uh, this Friday, um, I believe it's the 5th, we're going to do um, a follow-up conversation with Nathan. So whatever you hear on the podcast, if you have any questions or if there's anything we miss, you can join us at 7 p.m. Uh, February 5th, 2021 and talk about the episode and ask whatever question you would like. So make sure if you're already on Clubhouse to follow Ride Boundless and be tuned in for February 5th, 7 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. Welcome back to another episode of the Ride Boundless podcast. This episode is brought to you by, you know who, Ride Clean. The simple way of keeping your motorcycle clean, your car clean, your glasses clean, shit, everything clean. Just simply shake, spray, and wipe, and it's just that easy. Check them out at rideclean.co. Use promo code RBPODCAST for 20% off, plus free shipping, plus they're offering two-ounce bottles that they're shipping out with every order so you can take in your motorcycle, in your pocket, or wherever you want. That's rideclean.co, promo code RBPODCAST. Just want to give a quick shout out to Los Angeles Moto. Check out their Instagram handle at Los Angeles Moto. These guys are pretty badass. They have a great photographer. They have a great group of uh, riders. They set up a ride every weekend. And thanks to one of their rides, I got my next guest. My next guest, uh, you can see his Instagram at Nathan Verdugo. He is a two-wheel enthusiast, marketing director for MV Agusta, and first-string player for Team Badassness, which I didn't even know and we didn't talk about because he just sent me his intro. But without further ado, let's get started with Nathan Verdugo. Here we go. Okay, so we were talking about a few things. We were talking about an idea that you read about that you don't recall where you read about or what the source was. It, w it was touching on the homelessness issue, and it was saying that like 80, it was an astronomical number. It was like 85% of the homeless population uh, suffers from mental health issues. So realistically, the, the underlying issue with homelessness in LA or across the country is a mental health issue, right? And well, Pre-COVID or, or or current? Currently, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's always kind of been that, and then and then on top of that, you have addiction being another issue, right. which is arguably a mental health issue, if you ask me. Anyway, so um, cheers, yeah, cheers, bro. Um, that that's the wild part is like is like it's it, sorry, no, no, it's you're good, man. Is um, I think there's a stigma around homelessness of, of just being like lazy or or like you're choosing to to be anti-establishment or or it's easier to to just panhandle for a living. Uh, and the reality of it is, is there's there's more going on than just that. You know what I mean? I don't think anybody choose. Dude, you've sat out in the rain before. You've sat at the bus stop for whatever. You, you know what it I mean? Like, sucks. totally, especially in like the '90s and stuff. Totally. Before like you know, Uber, scooters, apps, uh, you know, anything. Like in the '90s, you, all the time. You Even just, if you were just a kid and had to wait for the bus in the cold or in the weather, it sucks. It sucks. Like yeah. nobody wants to be out there like that. You know what I mean? And then, and especially, dude, like think about the. Uh, Think about the social stigma that comes around it. Like once you got old enough to to drive, 
if you were the only one that didn't have a car or if you didn't have this or you didn't have that, like that follows you. Like, no, I, I have a hard time believing that the folks that are out there in the streets are like still they, they to be chose, there. They you know what I mean? It's not like a, it's not a social protest of like, well, give me a sandwich and fucking I'll figure it out. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's not like that. I don't think. Yeah. Well, the, there's a few things. Uh, one thing you're right. There's a lot of addicts, you know, cause mm-hmm. I've, I've been asked, I remember I was like 14 years old and this guy was like, Hey, can I have some money for food? And yep. I was like, not really. I walked into the store and I said, you know what? Let me buy him a sandwich. I bought him a sandwich. I walk outside. I said, here, man, I got you a sandwich. He grabbed the sandwich, said, I don't want no fucking sandwich. And he threw it on the street. Yeah. And I was like, this is fucked. So that, that really messed my perception where I'm like, these guys are, these guys are, you know, druggies. They're all druggies. But, but But the question is, is why? Why? Why are they druggies? No, where is the underlying thing? Like, you know what I mean? I, 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 I'm not, not to make any assumptions about yourself, but I assume that, you know, a lot of us have, have tried. I mean, we're drinking beers right now. We've tried things or whatever. N- none of those things for the vast majority of us has flipped. Keep, keep going. Keep yeah. going. Keep going. I'm just going to this heater. Yeah. None of that has really, like, flipped that switch for most people to be like, this is all I care about, and I'm willing to give up everything in my life for this, including shelter, including warmth, including normalcy, including like. Well, we're like, talking about the drug problem. Sure, I mean, right. what, what, what we're what talking I'm, about why they got to that point, and, what they chose over it, and what I'm what I'm trying to like bring it back to is I th- I honestly believe it is a is the underlying issue is a mental health problem, and the drug addiction is part of the trying to cope with those other problems that they have, right? Right. And so when you have the baseline problem, and then you have the drugs, and then you have the interaction with with social norms. And then the shitty drugs, because totally. all the drugs are illegal, so totally. the only way you get drugs is shitty, you know, quality drugs. And then I can only imagine, you know, like, like if you've... If you've ever had to spend even, you know, a couple hours in the system or on the streets, that also is is a negative impact on your on your well-being and the way that you feel about things and the way that you interact with people like it all it all is like a perfect storm for just it's being just, one of those people that if you're not caught up in it to be like figure it out and move the fuck on, you know. But I think it's way more complex. I think I think it's fair enough that I would agree that a big percentage of the people that are out on the streets, that, mm-hmm. that fits the, 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 the qualification or why they're out there. But, I mean, there's crazy shit going on. I've talked about it on this podcast before. The people asking for money on the corners, mm-hmm. that's all mob base. It's all mobsters. It's all gangsters. They have controlled people. That's why it's always the same person in the same corner. Sure. That's why nobody's ever taken over that corner. They, I've heard that people get into drug debts or they get into some kind of debt, and now their penalty is you're standing uh-huh. on that fucking corner and you're collecting money from me until mm. you pay your debt. Mm. I don't care if it's a year or not. And we have people watching you. Nobody will mess with your corner, mm. but you can't leave your corner because wow. we'll come after you. So there's that whole mob aspect of it. Then there's the whole... Wow. Look how worse it got once California two, three years ago approved the law saying anybody can sleep on the sidewalks. Mm. You know, that's a law they passed. Mm -hmm. So they passed anybody could sleep on the sidewalk. And then they also passed anybody could sleep in their car. Mm. All right. And now look at the numbers of of homeless. Mm. Now, for whatever amount of homeless is, you could only imagine how many people are sleeping in their car to top it off. So there is something with state, with mob, with mental illness. There's something with... 
um, drugs, you know, same thing. They talk about this a lot, but there was a, you know, the shelters, a lot of homeless people don't want to go to a shelter mm-hmm. because they can't do their drugs mm-hmm. at the shelter. Mm-hmm. And if they have to choose between doing their drugs and going into the shelter, you know, now they're like, fuck that. So now they're on the streets, mm-hmm. down the street here, breaking into cars and creating problems. Like it's such a big complex issue that nobody knows what to do. And totally. that's, that's, that's what we're, we're dealing with. Especially if you're siloed in your solution making, right? If you only are like, all right, well, I need to fix the crime problem or I need to fix the dirt problem or I need to fix the drug problem. Realistically, it should be a collaborative effort with, in my opinion, society figuring out how to fix this issue. You know what I mean? Because if you come up with one solution, there's an adverse effect to the other thing. Like the part of the reason why why they don't want to go to the shelters, like you said, is because they can't do their drugs drugs. because it's illegal. Maybe if the drugs that they were doing were legal, then they could go there and it wouldn't be such a thing, you know, like, like, like Argentina, South America, Spain, Canada, Canada. (laughs) uh, Well, I'm talking about like a lot of drugs, a lot more, not just marijuana, but a lot more drugs are legal. Amsterdam, you know, these are all legal countries where it's like almost every drug. Now, Oregon, you Mm -hmm. saw the whole Oregon thing, right? And, and all I think this pushes to do is to get better quality drugs on the street or better quality drugs to people yeah. because again when you're doing it you know backdoor dude i don't know if you bought weed 10 15 years ago <laughs> 20 years ago when you were 18 whatever the yeah. case is you used to like have to meet some shady dude yeah. and he gave you like a pack of, it looked like dirt and it yeah. had seeds and stems and you know and you had to know five other people to get to that yeah. guy and you were just it was a, it was scary and your friends are in the car yeah. it was so shitty now it's legal and look how cool it is like yeah. you walk into a store what's your strains all right let me see the test results all oh, the thc the cbd wasn't wasn't it louis ck that had a bit about like i used to risk my life for <laughs> a bag of swag or whatever did yeah. he have a skill i, I love louis ck yeah. i watch all of the, all of his stuff yeah, i, I yeah, didn't yeah. see that i remember him saying yeah like it was like talking to his future kids or whatever where they're like you know you know where they have uh uh, uh weed shops that are just you know, like 7-Elevens or whatever, you just right. walk in and buy whatever. And like, like them talking to that younger generation of like, I used to risk my life <laughs> to buy a dime bag. You know, uh, I yeah. used to have to go sit in somebody's car that I didn't know. And they drive me to a place that I'd never seen before. And I'd have to wait. <laughs> and no idea what part of town you're totally, in. Totally, like, cause totally. you, you don't even have a GPS or map. Totally. It's funny. Cause I was talking to a friend of mine and we were talking about a, 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 a saying or expression that goes, uh, the older you get, the better you were. Mm. And that leads to like, you know, back in my days, you know, I risked my life to get you for, know, sure. for a dime bag. For sure. That's hilarious, man. Yeah. What, what what's going on, man? What else has happened in business? Um, yeah. So uh, just recently, I um, I uh, left Roland Sands Designs, where I was the experiential marketing manager for a couple of years. Um, man, what a cool environment there! Beautiful. Like those those guys are our family. Like Roland and I established a relationship probably a good three years prior, three or four years prior. I was definitely aware of him before he knew who I was. Um, but we established a relationship like three or four years ago. This is while I was working for, for Ducati. And then um, um, I left Ducati and and an opportunity with him came up. And uh, we didn't even actually like, it was funny when he, when he called me, he didn't actually have a specific role in mind. He was just like, hey man, well, hold on. How, how did he even call you? Like what, how do, how was that all interaction? So he reached out to you. You didn't apply for a job there. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he had, uh, 
I mean, like I said, we, we kind of established a relationship like early on and, and we're just cool about stuff. And, um, um, after I left Ducati, he, he was aware and, uh, we, he kind of, we chatted about some things, um, in terms of like, you know, like which direction to go next or what else should I do? And, uh, which was like super rad to me. Like it's, it's awesome when, when you meet people and they are really, at least in the moment, it feels like they're as invested in your success as you are. You know, I, right. I, I'm one of those people. I like, if there's something that I can do to help you be better or get to that next level, use me, please. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and I think Roland is one of those type of person, people too. Like he, he's, he recognizes, you know, he, I don't want to say he recognize, he, he is open to, if you need something that he can help facilitate that is just natural to him, like, He'll Absolutely, you know, if you're asking him to come over and mow your lawn, he probably will, but begrudgingly, you know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> he's not, we're not all that great of it. Anyways. Right. Um, but overall, for, for as much as he's doing and for his status, he still acknowledges people trying to do better in life. Totally. And he supports it. Totally. That's awesome. So, so um, you know, we kind of went back and forth with a couple of ideas. And then, and then one day he like literally called me out of the blue at, at brunch and he was like, uh, what are you doing? Can you, can you come into the office tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can come up come down. He's like, yeah, cool. We, we, we just need to talk about some stuff. I was like, all right. So I came down there and then we just like, basically like we had a, a very kind of, um, um, you know, arms distance relationship of, of, of knowing each other. You know what I mean? Like you're cool. You're cool. Yeah. Drink sometimes funny jokes, blah, blah, blah. We do not that guy. Yeah. <laughs> we just didn't really have like an intimate knowledge of like, ah, this is who you are. This is who I am. So we kind of sat and, and I we just talked for like an hour and a half in his office. And then, uh, and then a couple days went by and then he, he hit me up and was like, yeah, man, do you want to work here? And I was like, all right. And we never really like discussed like a like specific role. Yeah. We just, we just knew that there was something there and we could, we could work together. And that was the exact conversation. Hey, you want to work here? Like, yeah. all right, well, fuck it. Totally. You know, you're yeah, cool. Yeah. It was, yeah, pretty much like that. And, um, <laughs> that's fucking crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I had, I had, uh, I obviously have a background in marketing and public relations. I was racing the super hooligan series at the time. That's so um, cool. I, so there was a lot I, I of like crossover, like, like we get the same things and, um, um, yeah, so went and, and, and worked with him for him and the team for like a, a good two years and it was awesome. And then, um, uh, yeah, kind of the same, same thing out of nowhere, an opportunity presented itself, um, with MV Augusta and, uh, they, they had a position open for, um, their, uh, North American marketing director and, Man, I'm I'm always a person for a challenge. Like it was, um, it was obviously bittersweet, really bittersweet, living leaving RSD to go, come take on th this new role. But but like I said, I'm I'm always open to a challenge. Envy is is a brand that has such a rich history, such cool product, but they they struggle with even brand awareness in, in North right. America. Well, like when when the offer came through, and and I and I I told some friends who are avid motorcyclists people who ride motorcycles a lot. I was like, Hey man, I'm going to go to work for MV Augusta. And they're like, who? I'm like, wow. Like, come on guys. Yeah. No, but I mean, yeah, like, but for me, that was like, thank God. Like, I, like just, just, uh, that was a good, that was a, that was an eye opener. Totally. Yeah. 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 
So it, it must be very exciting to work for, for such a big company that has a big history, but nobody knows. I mean, that's, that's almost like, that's like, it should be pretty easy, you know, to get them out there because you, you have so much to work with compared to trying to launch a new company and, and building that history up, right? Totally. And, and not to mention that like our customers are such fanatics of the brand yeah. that relying on them and their wealth of knowledge and their like understanding of the brand, it, it helps me tremendously to continue to tell their story. Like yeah. it is probably of, of all the brands that are out there, it is one that has such a such a tight knit and and significant community that like keeps the lineage alive. So I'm excited to really like wrap my arms around those folks and, and learn from them as much as, as I can, you know? Yeah, and, and and I I did say that it'd be easier to market a company that's existing more than than a new company, but actually you're the marketing expert. What 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 is easier? Is it easier to kind of like launch a company like let's say you had let's say you had a million dollars right and you have two choices you have choice one uh create a brand new brand and and launch it and and control everything about it and get it out there and i'm talking about with, with your experience or option two get a company that's been around for 70 plus years they have a lot of history but in the u.s market they're they're not that well known but you know uh, you still have a million dollars to market them. What would be easier in a, in a marketing? And and before you, I'm sorry, before you answer that question, yeah. just for my listeners, who are you and what do you do? Ah, Nathan Verdugo, a motorcycle enthusiast, current marketing director for MV Agusta North America. That's awesome. And congrats on that new position. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. So, so what would be easier? You have a million dollars to launch a new company or a million dollars to launch an existing company that's not that well-known but has a solid history? So um, it, it's funny because the way, the way that my brain works always when I'm posed the question, uh, this, this makes it difficult sometimes for me to communicate even though I'm a communications major, is as I'm asked the question – my brain is literally doing analysis on both sides. And as I come up with a point that my mouth is ready to speak, my brain is arguing the other point simultaneously. Hilarious. So, <laughs> so it's, it's funny because I, I feel like there's pros and cons from both sides, right? If you are, if you are a brand new company with a genius idea that nobody's ever thought of before, what's well it's, it's e I would say it's easier to come out of the gate and be like, look guys, Here's this problem that has always been a problem. We're solving it now. Join us, blah, 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 blah. Do that, right? Like the whole Kickstarter totally. status. As opposed to a company, it, it depends, right? Because if you're a company that was like, you know, had a long heritage, but over the years it's just got continuously worse and you kind of effed up the brand and now you want it to make a 180 degree turn. Like, look, guys, you thought we were this, but guess what? We're actually that and it's right. better. It's kind of a challenge. So there's pros and cons to both. In my situation with MV, here's a brand that is that has such a rad heritage, such cool stories to tell, 75 years of, of awesome product. And proven and track record. Totally. And even, Literally. Even with the new, um, with the ownership that's, that's happened, you've got a young, passionate guy that has taken over as, as CEO and is, has really got some some awesome broad scale ideas of where he wants to take the brand and he's passionate about the brand. He's passionate about two wheels. It's not a, um, 
it's not a conglomerate. It's not a hedge fund group. It's not a, it's not a um, corporate or yeah, people yeah, yeah. that have no motorcycle experience or controlled by the stock. Totally, like it's, Harley. That that that's one of Harley's problems. Mm -hmm. Harley is, is is making a bunch like the information that I understand is Harley's getting a bunch of. Uh, they're trying to make their stockholders happy, mm. so they make all these new motorcycles without knowing if they're going to sell or not. And the problem is is all the dealers are local franchises. So as Harley, you know, tells the stockholders, oh, look, we're creating five new motorcycles. The dealers are like, well, fuck, we don't know if that's going to sell or not. Mm. But guess what? They're allocated to buy a certain amount of motorcycles. Mm. So they're forced to buy it. And now Harley says, look, we moved these new motorcycles. See how great that was? And yeah. the shareholders are like, yeah, thank you very much. You know, so that that's what happens. But that's not happening here. Yeah, I think I think it's wild when a, when a brand decides to pivot with their product and still relies on the same sort of sales network to keep continue to push. You know what I mean? Like you, if you develop a, a, a sales market and team specific to push this type of product yeah. and then you introduce something else that, you know, might be wildly different, uh, an electric bicycle, for example, if you've been right. pushing V twin motorcycles your entire life, it, it is, it's wild to for me to expect that that dealer network would know how to handle that and be able to they just won't. be like, okay, yeah, we can do that now. You know, you know what I mean? Like, you if you're if you're going to to change product, you have to kind of change the way that you're going to do business across the scale. You know? Right. What your sales network looks like, how you're marketing, all of that stuff has to change at the same time. Like it's 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 um. You're sort of setting yourself up up for failure, I would imagine, if you're if you're expecting the people who have who've been trained and have bought into the lifestyle and have bought into the idea of what this is to then try to sell that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes it becomes a challenge because you you have to. I mean, just dealing with one product is difficult, and then dealing with different models of products is more difficult, and then getting a completely separate thing is just it, it it almost doesn't make sense. Totally, totally. What do you what do you think since you're marketing and and you you focus on targeting audiences and stuff? What do you think is the solution for it seems like less people are getting motorcycles, especially this younger generation. Like I mean, overall, I don't even want to say, I almost want to say this younger generation doesn't even want to get cars. Like, mm. you know, one of the highlights for me was to get a driver's license. Now it's like, well, why would I get a driver's license? I got an Uber, I got a Lyft, I got this. What do you think would be the solution to be able to push more motorcycle sales? You yeah, know, or get people riding, you know, or, or, or excited about riding? That's, that's a great question. And I'm sure all the folks at uh, IMS and AMA are like pondering these, the, that question over and over all the time. And I, I probably don't have a silver bullet answer for it, but, um, honestly, I think it, what it is, 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 um, is not, not to make myself sound old, but it, it feels like the, the younger generation are, have gotten used to how easy it they're is a bunch to of bitches. Not fucking kidding. <laughs> I don't want to say that about that. I mean, yeah. there, there are like, the generation before that could say that about us for sure. Right. <laughs> and so it's, it's just, it's just different. The way that they process information, the things that are easy are going to be easy. Right. Like, right. Like think about, I mean, getting a message to a loved one, um, even in our generation is much easier than it was two generations ago, you know? Right. So the idea of motorcycling or just anything that's, that comes easier 
is is something that we have to take into consideration and so these barriers of entry that that make motorcycling so ethereal to even think about for for a younger generation of like i got a million things on my plate the last thing i need to worry about is like do i have the right gear do i have the right licensing is i do i have to pay this i have to do that i have to do all the stuff that right helmet the right gloves the right jacket the right boots the right Totally. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's not that accessible. And, and on the one part, I, I love the fact that like motorcycling is one of those things that you have to sort of like make an effort to go and do like, you know what I mean? Like you put your helmet on and you have to be thinking about the, what you're doing because you're, you're literally your life is on the line. Right. So you don't want to make it too easy, but honestly, I think that the, that the, electric platforms are are, are they going to be the wave like that is for me the 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 going to be the gateway drug to 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 something bigger faster and stronger and arguably speaking if the younger generation and i'm talking folks that are like you know between the ages of of nine to 15 at the moment by the time that they get to our age Will it even, will motorcycles even look the way, will they even have any sort of resemblance of what they look like now? I'm not sure, right? But I think to keep folks interested in like taking life in their own hands, literally, and, and, and putting themselves out there and like sort of deviating from the norms of society. Right. I I still believe electric platforms right now are, are, are kind of the way, like, you know, they're, they're they're easier if you have parents that are not into that at all it's probably easier to talk your folks into an electric bicycle than it is a full-fledged even you know a electric small, bicycle like meaning bicycle electric like the super 73s or the mountain like, bikes or yeah, something yeah, like that i'm thinking something super like the super 73 the cakes the, the any of the the electric platforms that resemble a bicycle that maybe they still right. have pedals on them I mean that's easier to convince your your family who that might be anti motorcycle and I'm throwing up air quotes motorcycle um, to, to even a, a very like air quotes. to even a a, a a small displacement motorcycle right you know right. Um, they'll be like oh yeah it's, I'm not even worried about it but the but the throttle interaction the speeds that you get the the ability to move in and out of traffic the ability to get to where you're going and get exactly to where you're going. Like, I don't have to worry about a parking spot. I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to worry. I go exactly and park, put the bike where exactly where I want it. That will, is appealing, especially as a, as a society, as we start to, to create more rules, motorcycles, two wheeled, um, two wheel transportation will always be a freedom that people who don't experience will never understand. And if yeah. you, unless you, unless you have that experience and even with bicycles too, I love anything two wheels. Yeah. The even bicycles, to, you're right. The ability to just go wherever you want, wherever and get wherever you want and park and not take up so much space and walk in and get, do your thing, get out and get out away from everything. It is, it is, it's, it's insane. And it's super fucking convenient. I, I, I've over. literally lately. I, I ride my bike and I and I go through town, I go downtown, blah blah, cut through traffic, this that, that that. As soon as I get off, I feel like I just got off a parachute. I feel like I just like yeah. like you know I'm landed. And if I have to go to the store real quick, you know I just ride to the store, keep my helmet on, buy what I gotta buy, yeah. walk back out, jump on the bike, leave. I'm back where I'm at. 
And it, it, the convenience is insane. And because of that fucking BMW right there, I've I've ridden on so many sidewalks. It's ridiculous, yeah. man. <laughs> like it's just so fucking like nothing's gonna stop you if you really if you wanna if you wanna push it. The and coolest the f- thing about being a motorcyclist at the moment too now is because of the mask mandate. So if you're going to the grocery store, you ride the bike there, you just keep your helmet on, you yeah. walk through, like you know, one hundred percent. It's just like the most Zero. easy. Yeah, you put on to, a mask. No. You don't have to carry your helmet no more. It's not socially awkward to be walking through the, the grocery store so with your helmet normal. on. And everybody's yeah. like, Man, that's a great mask. Yeah. Like it's no stupid, it's a fucking helmet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, the convenience of it is amazing. Here, I I, I I think I think this is the best way to answer the the marketing okay. question. Why do you ride? Why do I ride? Oh wow. Well that that's kind and of how a, long have you been riding? Yeah, so that's sort of a long question for me. And so the that is actually the question I love asking people, especially from the marketing side. So I'll kind of I'll kind of back you up a little bit. So um I I really had no choice but to ride. Both my parents were into it. My my mom, uh, both my parents you. rode and raced. Yeah, my mom raced uh, speedway in the in the seventies, flat track in the nineties. She teaches motorcycle safety now. Um, my dad built race motors back then. He raced himself. Um, so motorcycles were always omnipresent in my life. Like I had really no choice. I had my first race at three years old. Wow. And, and what were you riding? It was an ATC 70. Fuck. Yeah, it was, and I can't imagine myself being a three year old toddler being like, hey guys, I want to race motorcycles. It was probably more like, we're yeah. cool parents. Look at our kid races, you know? But still, yeah. it was it was still part of my life from you were before born I into can it. remember. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and so, um, funny enough, my, par- my parents split up when I was 13. Try and talk closer to the mic. Yeah, Sorry yeah. about that. My my parents split up when I was thirteen, and um, our our whole family kind of traditioned every or, or transitioned. Everybody sort of split off at that point in time, and so at that point, my teenage rebellion was to be anti motorcycles. Mm. So from like thirteen That's to hilarious. twenty, yeah. So from like thirteen to twenty, fuck no, I'm not riding motorcycles. <laughs> Too I'll, many motorcycles in my life. I don't need it. Yeah, I was like, well, I was like, <laughs> that's your thing. Like, I need to figure out what my thing is, you know. And and I'm 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 I'm. Ha- Looking back, I'm happy that that happened because, you know, during that time when I was, I sort of shunned motorcycling. I, sh- I shunned my my lineage. I uh, I found art. I found music. I found fashion. I found other things that like made me a bit more multifaceted and, and that I appreciate still now to this day. Right. And then around 20 or so, I found motorcycling again, and I really. And I wanted to say I, I didn't like abstain from it completely from 13 to 20. I, I still would like ride here and there. Right. There's um, bikes all over the place. Yeah. Might as well. But then, but then, you know, when I was, when I was 20, I sort of found it again for myself and like realized that I actually love it too. Right. And then, yeah, kind of was, was off to the races from there. Um, I, th- I think I'm lucky enough to have it always in my life because it made it easier to, to find it as also as a career. Um, uh, so you, you, as a career, you were completely racing professionally, getting sponsored, like, so not until I was like, like once I picked it back up again. Right. So then I, then in I was your like, 20s. yeah, yeah. Then I was like, all right, um, I want to, I want to, I want to start, want to start riding again. And, um, actually I'd always been a, a, a motocross supercross fan. 
Yeah. And uh, I walked into the dealership to go buy a motocross bike and they were all, I was, I was in the market for a CRF 450 at the time. That was like the hottest bike to get for motocross. They were all so loud of that bike. So I ended up with a KTM, uh, 525SX. And it was way too big for, for most motocross tracks in, in Southern California. Plus I'm like, you know, 165 pounds, maybe soaking wet. Right. And it was, it was a big bike for, for motocross tracks to try to muscle around. My dad had always been a fan of Baja and off-road racing. So he convinced me to, to convert the bike into an off-road bike. And I started racing, um, district 37, score best in the desert like all these big off explain that explain all that because i'm not familiar with that and i'm sure many listeners are not familiar with that yeah it's it's district 31 district 37 37 yeah it's big long long distance off-road races so they last uh, for what hours days it it depends it really depends on on the length so district 37 is usually like smaller courses are probably around 37 to 60 miles but super technical it's fucking crazy over rocks and stuff like that and yeah. you're and it's a race yeah i mean it's, it's just a bomb start for a lot of them it's a bomb start where you where you start on a line with you know shit a hundred or so other other riders there's a big smoke bomb you know a mile off in the distance and they throw the flag and you pin it towards the bomb, like where the smoke is coming from. Whoa, and then that, that sounds cool. Yeah, that, that leads you, like you kind of basically follow the ribbons throughout the course to, to get where you're going. That's and you, awesome. And, and you cover all types of terrain. I mean, it's, And you it's, do that for 36 miles. So what happens? Every every mile they throw another bomb? Or, no, no, or no. You follow you, the ribbons you're, once you're you start. following the ribbons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And but then, people get lost, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. People, you, get, you go off course. You, you Yeah. Um, so District 37 is one discipline. It, it's it's all sort of in the same family of off-road racing. So you have dis- District 37, you have Best in the Desert, and you have Score. Best in the Desert is another, like, long-form off-road race. Those are usually 250 to 500 to um, – they actually have Vegas to Reno for – so however many miles that is, that's the longest uh, um, off-road race in Amer- in North America and, and United and States. And it's no roads. It's just completely – It's all off-road, yeah, yeah. That is fucking insane. The bikes must get beat the fuck up yeah, after that, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to build a strong bike. You also have to be a racer who's not just like – I'm the fastest person. You have to be able to like maintain machinery, especially some of these races are team races too. So you might do, you know, a 60 mile stint, hand the bike off to somebody else. They do another 60 miles. You jump back on and you kind of mm. leapfrog each other. Um, so that's, that's best in the desert. And then score is the, uh, the outfit that puts on the, all the Baja races. So San Felipe 250, Baja 500, Baja 1000. Um, so yeah, my, my dad was a big fan of, of long distance off-road racing and got me into that. And, uh, and, um, I had some pretty good success with that. The first time I went to Baja, I, we ended up second place in our class. Um, well, second first time. time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Second time I went down there. Your dad uh, must've been so fucking happy. He was super pumped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, ah, yeah. um, and then through that, I, I, uh, um, off-road racing at that point in time too was not a money-making sport. It was one of those things where you could, the best that you could do is sort of via sponsorship and other ways sort of earn your fun for free, you know, where you almost break even, which was right. cool, you know? And I kind of got to that point. The closest thing that I ever got to like a real, like almost factory sponsorship is uh, 
I did a, the development of a test riding for Aprilia on their RXV 550. Um, they're most notable. The RXV family is most notable for their for their supermoto accolades. But they also had an off road bike, and I developed that in Baja. I'm the first person to ride an Aprilia and finish in Baja. So. Holy shit! Yeah, that, 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 part that cool. should be on your resume. Yeah, that, is it that, on your resume? Yeah, 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 yeah it is. Yeah. Actually, it's on my LinkedIn. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Um, and that started my relationship with Italian brands, oddly enough. So, um, have you been to Italy? Weird question. I have. I've been to you Italy have? several times. Yeah, 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 yeah. I went for the first time last year. Well, before COVID, yeah. like a year before COVID, so two years ago. Sad, sad. Yeah, yeah Rome it, it, to it, me it, was like, eh, it's a bunch of ruins. I don't know. <laughs> Which parts did you go to? Uh, I went to Rome. I went to Venice. I went to Florence. I love Florence. I love Venice. Uh, Rome was really like, eh, it's a bunch of ruins, you yeah. know. And I thought the service was fucking terrible. Yeah, they didn't give a fuck. I got in a fight with the dude trying to charge me money to use the bathroom. I just paid like a hundred dollar for tickets to see rocks, and then I go, "Can I use your bathroom?" I went downstairs to use the bathroom. And the guy's like, excuse, excuse, you need to pay $5. And I'm like, $5, use your fucking bathroom, get out of here. And I started yeah. like, I'm not you. So I went to use the bathroom. Like, he can't put his hands on me. And he's putting his hands on me. I'm like, dude, like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. I'm out of here. I'm peeing somewhere else. So, yeah. but, uh, but Florence was amazing. Got some great leather there. And then Venice, I thought Venice was cool. And Venice I is rad, right? Venice is, is the first time I, I, I went to Venice, I, it, it almost looked like, um, like the buildings were facades, right? Like you it's almost facades, like to like yeah. look behind and like imagine the yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the sticks popping. But that's up, right? that's that's you, you, the 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 way I describe that is is guns, like you have toy guns and mm-hmm. toy guns look so fucking real that real guns look fake, you know. Yeah. And I think Vegas did such a great job of Venice that when you go to Venice, you're like, motherfucker, this is fake, man. Totally. This has to be fake, but it's legit. It's totally. It's badass. It's a great experience. My my great my grandfather used to build movie sets back in the day, so like being able to see like being on movie sets, going to amusement parks, going to places like Vegas, and then you go to the place that it's actually modeled after, and they're like. Wait, hold on. <laughs> and, and interesting enough to add to that is the 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 way they paint the sky, like in, in the Venetian yeah. and stuff like that. You look at that and you're like, oh, this bullshit fucking sky. Yeah. But when we were we, when we were in Paris and in Italy, the sky looks it, it looks painted. Yeah. yeah, there, yeah. There's parts of Europe's for for some reason the clouds and the lighting and I don't know what the fuck's going on. It looks like a painting. I took I took so many cloud pictures in Europe because yeah. I was like, dude, this looks looks yeah, like it's a amazing. Yeah. So so that's where where I don't know. Cloud, clouds kind of like break things up. Like you know, I've done skydiving a few times, yeah. and when it was just a clear blue sky, it was the most boring video because mm. it's just like. Yeah. But when you have that context of like nice big rain clouds or whatever, now you could see like oh, you could see where you're at and how you're spinning and how fast you're going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you see those little details. But sorry, so now you attracted all these Italian companies. Yeah. Oddly well, enough, that's that's where I started, and then uh, yeah, sort of. So you don't like American bike? No, I'm no, so I, kidding. I, I do. <laughs> I, I love I love American motorcycles. I love Japanese brands. I love them all. Like that's yeah. the thing is like is like I was I was actually having that conversation with somebody right before I came over here about how, you know, it it, it seems recently that um, uh, that I want to say in the past that motorcycling was so uh segmented and niche to each sport that like 
you know, road racers had nothing to do with guys who rode baggers or, or folks who rode flat track didn't really know about guys doing anything in supercross. Right. And, and it, it seems as though that that is starting to evaporate a bit. And that like, you know, if you're into motorbikes, like you're into motorbikes, regardless of, of what your discipline is. And, and I, I love seeing that because man, like I said, I, I'm a fan of, a fan of two wheels. Like I, I have a super 73, I have an MV, I, I have a, a hooligan bike. I have a motocross bike. I love all of them. I love all of them They're all for exciting. different reasons, but I all, it's funny because I love all of them for different reasons. But if I think about it, I love all of them for the exact same reason, you know? Yeah. That that yeah. makes per that's a perfect oxymoron. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. But you know what you know what's interesting, is that everybody talks about how the growing the, the the numbers of motorcycle purchases is going down. And I know that the amount of motorcycles in the U.S. it's like very low. I, I don't remember the exact number. I'm just gonna guess, but it was like six percent or nine percent of people in the United States have a registered motorcycle, mm-hmm. and maybe another like three percent of off road vehicles. It's not a lot, but. I've traveled so much that I see how many scooters and motorcycles are the, they're almost the primary, you know, uh, transportation system. I, I, I've been in India where I've seen a family of five. I'm talking about father, yeah. wife, baby, five-year-old, three-year-old yeah. on, a, on a scooter. And I'm like, whoa. And if you go online, you could just search motorcycles around the world, like Colombia. Yeah. Colombia, everybody's in scooters and motorcycles. So it's interesting how many motorcycles and how many people ride in crazy conditions daily, but in America it's 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 less than ten percent. Yeah, you know it, that's it's so wild to me. Same. So I lived in Indonesia for a year, and that was the first time I would see like a family of four on yeah. a scooter with like a you know a, a stack of chickens in the back hauling ass, hauling like, ass. Yeah, like literally a baby on the side, like a yeah. four year old, the, the mom, the dad, the chickens, uh, you know. Just, Hauling ass Eggs traffic, fucking yeah. cow, like it's <laughs> feathers ridiculous. flying everywhere for sure. I I think still part of what what it is 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 it, it's a cultural thing for sure. And and with the U.S., the idea of motorcycles is still hobbyist and entertainment. They're they they haven't quite like crossed over that utilitarian reason yet. You know what right. I mean? Because we have so many fucking options, I guess. Y- yeah, yeah, exactly. Like. Yeah, the United States is such a car culture. You know what I mean? Like the well now, even now, like in the last hundred years, I get it. From from the beginning, I mean, it it went from horses to to cars. There was no, there was no, there was no any in in between. You know what I mean? So, um, motorcycle culture is still like 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 I said, sort of entertainment and 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 hobbyist. I don't know how much it'll help by introducing the the um, utilitarian component of it. Well, I, I to top that off. Now that you're saying this, it's also price point. I mean, you go to you go to South America or India or Asia, which is part of India. You know, you go to those places, and you know, you ask any of them, like, "Hey, would you rather have a car or a motorcycle?" They're gonna say, "Of course, I'd take a fucking car." Yes, but <laughs> because of, because of financing and stuff like that, that makes sense. Isn't it interesting? I forgot where I saw this, but it was they, they made a quote or a statement saying that when cars were introduced, the rich would drive cars and the poor would ride horses. Mm. But today, 
the rich ride horses and the poor drive cars. Totally. <laughs> totally. I mean, it's interesting how things change. Well, it, it's it's not that it changes. It's just styles always come back. Hundred percent. And it, it, if you think honestly, with uh, say Southern California as being one of the bigger motorcycle markets, it is the market specific is less advantageous for motorcycles being used utilitarian, right? Right. You you almost motorcycles as a utility are better suited for places with way more congestion, not, not to, you know, not to say that LA doesn't have the worst traffic in the world, but like, you know, places like places like New York or, or places that are like very, very urban where a motorcycle gets you in and out. And I'm talking about very small displacement, like, like we were talking about in, in Colombia or South America, Argentina, Brazil, all of them. Like where you can get in and out, weave through traffic, park on the sidewalk, do your thing, get in and get out, and be bound, be be done. Th- then, as a, as a utility vehicle, motorcycles are sp- phenomenal. California is still fast enough, even though that there is traffic, it's still vast enough where like uh, motorcycles aren't thought in that way. They're not. For me, I do. I think I think of motorcycles as the key to the city. No matter where I am, if there's going to be any sort of traffic, I love I love motorcycles as transportation for for me in LA because I don't have to think about uh, you know traffic schedules or anything like that. I have to be At there all. in twenty minutes. I'll be there in twenty minutes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, but, I I even I I I know this guy that he would. You would on the ways you can switch if you're in car or motorcycle, and it would give you different time, and it give you different time. Uh, but he didn't like the motorcycle time. He liked putting the car times because you know he could beat it, uh, and yeah, it was, yeah. was always against it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a silly bitch. Sorry, I got to throw that out there. <laughs> I um that kind of that kind of brings me to another point. I I wish and, and talk. Oh, to, sorry, it's it's okay. I wish I wish in in some aspects that the um. When it comes to that point, I wish in some aspects that the AMA worked as hard for motorcycles as the um, as the NRA works for guns. Yeah. Like, for instance, yeah. NRA was pushing for a bill that would allow you, if you were licensed to carry in one state, that so say you know you got licensed to carry in Texas, right, and uh, an open carry state. It, California was not an open carry state, right? Right. If you were licensed as an open carry state in Texas, if you traveled to California, you could carry open carry there, right? Right. So I would love if the AMA was in the same situation where it was like you were licensed as a uh, um, um, lane splitting state here that you could lane split everywhere. I, I wish that lane splitting was was open everywhere. Isn't but like, it unbelievable that it's only California that allows it? It's crazy to me. It's the only one. It's crazy. It's crazy to me. And and what's even crazier is how shitty people are in their cars when you try to split lanes in a different state. Oh my! They're gosh. fucking Living. dicks, man. They're like look. They're waiting for a bike to fucking you know split so they can cut them off so they can you know like cause them to crash. Like it, it's it's fucking nuts. It's, it's wild because. In my opinion, we're doing both of us a favor. I'm not right. being around you, and you're not being around me. Like I get to get away from from car. I don't trust cars. No, yeah, the, most of those folks are not paying attention. You know, I arguably myself included. Uh, when I'm in a car, 
I'm way less engaged, you know, like 100 percent. I've said this a thousand times, but I got to say it again. There, there was a time when self-driving cars were coming out that I was like, fuck that. I love driving too much. I, I don't want no fucking self-driving cars. But I have ridden and split so many, through so many cars. And when you're splitting through cars and you look at mirrors, people's mirrors are facing. Like when you look at a rearview mirror, you should see the person's face. You see like the floor. You see the sky. You see the car next to them. Yeah. You're... All I can think about is we need self-driving cars not badly. To, not to mention when you're on a badly. bike and you can see inside people's vehicles oh, and see what they're doing. They're fucking, you, know, they, it's, you see all What's kinds of What's the wildest thing you've seen? Um, I, I just see a lot of people fucking eating and fucking on their phones. That's yeah. that's the crazy. I, I can't say I haven't seen like people jerking off or a woman playing <laughs> with their fucking shit. Like I, I can't. <laughs> I haven't seen that much crazy shit. But a lot of like eating food and on their phone and not looking at the road. Not even just eating food. Like when you say eating food, I'm talking about like they're digging full in their plates bag. Of, like, of I've literally seen yeah. full plates of like you oh should, yeah two hands on a hot dog. I've no, no, I've seen food. I've seen like a bunch of bowls stuff. of spaghetti. Have, have, have you ever seen the folks of like where they have the computer set up in the, yeah. in the passenger and yeah. they're like working on the computer? There's a guy with a truck. He had a little like like a stand. It looked yeah. like a police stand. I don't know, but he was fucking Coca Cola, big fucking Coca Cola computer, like nuts. I've I've seen folks also in in nice cars dressed in nice suits. This is again from a motorcycle's perspective as going by, with. With full length bongs, like a bong between their legs. Really? <laughs> yeah. I smelled a lot of weed. A totally. lot of fucking totally. weed. Especially when there's traffic. Like, totally. there's so much weed going yeah. on here. And it's weird because you'll pass like four cars weed, and then you go four cars more, and there's a cop, and then four cars more, and there's weed. Like, it's, it's everybody's getting high on the freeway. Though, 100%. Which, which is a, another crazy, crazy totally. aspect of, uh, of what we have to deal with. But I, I can't, I can't imagine not riding. I can't. I, I really can't. I, I I I lose my mind. I I've I've gone. I've come home. You know, I had to pick up the truck. Once I pick up the truck, you know, I jump on the freeway and fuck. Sorry, this light dims down. These ones stay on. Um, but like you know, I thought, was, I thought it was like a psilocybin flashback. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll get in the truck. I'll I'll go three miles and I'll I'll turn back around. I'll turn right really? back around and say fuck this, man. I'm I'm jumping on a bike. I I, I can't do it. You know, right now I'm like, it's going to rain. Shit, I don't have fucking good rain gear. I need new rain gear. I just bought rain gear today because, you know, it, it was because I wanted it. Okay. I fucking wanted rain gear. And it's, it's much better, obviously. Hey, I'm not mad at you. I, I, it, it's weird because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm both sides of it. I am my uh, preferred motor transportation is, is motorcycle for sure. But being a SoCal sort of native at least uh in, in some components of it like i'm a sissy when it comes to cold weather good gear is a godsend if you have good gear ride 365 days a year 100 percent. right yeah. yeah and but depending what state you're into because there's some shitty weather out there man there are folks that will ride and as long as there's not as long as the road's not frozen they're good to go yeah, that's what that what's that's what that's makes the extreme me feel, I'm talking about. That's yeah. the extreme that I'm talking about. That's the that's the uh, those are the folks that make me feel like a little bit of a of a pansy. Yeah, but here's the thing: if you have to, do it. But if you don't have to, don't. 
Like, it, like there, there's just, it doesn't make sense. Like, if you're going cross-country and you hit shitty weather, well, guess what? You better sack up and get through that. But if you're like, fuck, I like riding every fucking day, but there's, like, a hailstorm or there's some extreme weather, and it never happens in California, yeah. take a fucking Uber. Like, there, there's no reason that you have to, like, take that chance. Yeah. Nobody's going to be like, whoa, that was so fucking cool. You went to work when it was, like, below zero like that's amazing dude nobody cares yeah yeah, yeah. nobody yeah. cares i i agree about that i it, there's um if you wake up and and it's pouring rain or hailing like you said and you still put all your gear on to go for a pleasure ride you're insane yeah yeah <laughs> yeah while your car's just parked there and you're like fuck that prius i'm not okay. driving that i'm driving my bike have you I was I was gonna ask how when did you start riding? What was your what's your um, riding background? So so my family has never ridden. Uh, I have no old school original riding experience. And uh, when I was about sixteen years old, I, w- I was working at the YMCA as a lifeguard. My uh, best friend Brandon Elliott, he had the traditional American family. Let's go to the desert. Let's go to Mojave. Let's take the dirt bikes out. Let's go. Do, you know that that was the thing. And his father, um, Robert, as well, he, uh, he he would help me do, like, mechanic work. And, you know, he showed me the bikes. And, you know, I'd fuck around. They had a big property. This was in Santa Cruz County. Mm. And they had a big property. And we'd fuck around there. And then I went to Mojave. And then right before we went to Mojave, I bought one of the dirt bikes. I had a used one. I bought a 250 Yamaha. Took it out to the desert. I got lost. We were riding all like in the middle. I got lost. I separated. I got fucking lost. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, like I was, I was in the middle of nowhere. And then another good friend of mine, David Nixon, um, you know, he went and found me. He was like, well, you know, one of the badasses. They were doing stunts. They were doing races. They were doing everything. And then I liked it. Then I seized my engine. Then I took the quad. And then I crashed the quad a million times. And then I took another dirt bike. Then I crashed that dirt bike. And then I, w- I was just hooked, you know, and I was like, this is fucking great. Then I sold my my uh, Yamaha that was with the C's motor. I pretty much sold it for what I paid, so it was a score. And then a good friend of mine, uh, Maloa, she had a, uh, I forgot what happened. She moved to San Francisco or something happened in San Francisco, and they had a Ninja 650, mm. you know, uh, like 80-something. Mm. And there, And she was like, you want it? I was like, I'll take it. I took it. It was rusty as shit. That was was your first street bike. That was my first street bike. And it was just rusty. It was just beat up, nasty. And I'm probably like 17 at this point. It was just fucked up. So I'm like WD-40ing, scraping with brush, trying to get her to work. Anyways, I had that about for four months. And then I bought a 1200 Custom. You know, it was my first Harley. I wanted Mm. to buy an 883. The dealer's like, no, bro, you need a 1200. And I was like, no, no, the 883 looks cool. Anyways, he sold me that. And then um, after that, I, I was just hooked. I kept it. I kept it at a friend's house for like five, six days because I was like, if my mom sees this, she's gonna kick my fucking ass. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I can't have this. But after five days, I, I found out he was sitting on it and taking pictures. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck! <laughs> I was so pissed because yeah. the the twelve hundred customs all blacked out with Chrome Sportster, right? So I was like, you know, I'm taking it to my house. So I rode in to my house. We were living in Santa Cruz County. And uh, my mom looks out the window of the house, and she just looks at me, looks at the bike, and she goes, nice bike. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and then um, and then where I really got crazy with it is uh, I was working for Univision, you know, mm. which is a Spanish mm-hmm. television yep. station. Yeah, yeah. I was doing a radio uh, sales. 
And I, I started thinking, I go, how come they're not marketing to the Hispanic market? You know, I was like, this is not, you know, the, I know a lot of people that speak Spanish or are bilingual and they're not, you know, targeting them. So I went to the, you know, Monterey County, Harley Davidson and spoke to uh, the new owners at that time. This was 2006 around there. Mm. And I said, hey, why aren't you advertising to me? You know, like I had to go out of my way and do this. You know, I, I didn't even know about motorcycles, you know, to yeah. jerk bike and this. So let, let, let's target the Hispanic market. And I put a nice campaign package. And then this is where it gets crazy because they were thinking about it. And then they ended up loving the idea. And they said, okay, we're doing this because we trust you. You know, and I said, look, I'm going to throw a big event. We're going to do TV. We're going to do radio all in Spanish. We're going to get, we're going to sell bikes. They're like, okay. That weekend I went to one of my buddies on the nightclub in Monterey County and uh, it was closed down, but we had a poker night. Mm. And uh, long story short, long story short, we had drinks. We got fucked up. I got in my car, or actually, I walked to McDonald's. And as I'm walking to McDonald's, uh, it's closed. So I go to the drive-thru, and I'm like, I'd like to order, you know. And they're like, sir, you can't order food if you don't have a car. And I'm like, but I'm drunk, you know. And they're like, <laughs> they're like dude, you, you can't but I'm hungry. And they're like, sir, you have to be in a car. And I was like, Oh, be in a car. So I I walk back to like, you know, maybe a mile, get my car. I come back in my car. I'm in the drive through. And I was like, I like to order 20 piece chicken nuggets. I'm like, Oh fuck. Pull out of the driveway. I pulled out of the driveway. I get arrested get a DUI. I miss that weekend. That was like a Thursday. I missed the weekend of the radio show. So the Harley dealers, pissed yeah. right i wasn't there to do the ads um anyways what happens after that is i call them up and i say look guys uh i got arrested got a dui i will no longer be working for the company because you, i have to i'm an account executive and i gotta you know visit my clients and do that and since i don't have a license i can't do that but um i'm gonna make good i'm gonna take care of you so i did this huge promotion and and they sold probably like I don't know, it was like seven, eight bikes, you know, in, in two days, which was good at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, they said, hey, wh- when's your last day at Univision? I go, well, next week. They're like, okay, we're going to hire you. And I go, what do you mean you're going to hire me? They're like, we're, we're going to give you a job, and you're going to be the the general manager. And I was like, what? And then it was interesting because the way, the way I talked to them and we agreed on is I was the general manager, but there was no sales reps. Okay, so to be a sales rep, you have to have a vehicle sales license. Mm-hmm. So I hired people with no sales license, and they were customer experience representatives. Oh. And the, the borderline is if you don't talk about numbers or negotiations or credit apps, then you can you just make out. them fall you, in love. You could just, you know, t- yeah, that's it. The yeah. moment they talk about numbers, you're not allowed to do that. Got it. So that goes to me. So I was the general manager, finance manager. I was everything. So I had five reps just talking about motorcycle experiences, yeah. bike parts, how to customize it, where to ride, how to ride, classes to take. You know, it was just this awesome, informative experience. Yeah. And then the client felt no pressure that they were, you know, being yeah. pushed to buy. And then they were like, okay, okay, I'll buy it. And they're like, well, we can't sell you the bike. You know, let I'm me call Robert. Yeah, yeah totally. we're not selling people. It was <laughs> great. selling you. I'm just <laughs> yeah. telling you how rad motorcycles yeah, are. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm like, telling you what I do and where I go and what they say. But yeah. okay, hold on. And then they would call me in and I'd do the deal. And then I was like, I made it, I made a killing because I was 
finance commission, com, you know, sales commission. Yeah. It was a great system. It was yeah. a great system. So I did that, and that's how I really got into the whole motorcycle. And then from there, it was just like, you know, I, I started buying and selling, buying and selling, taking in trade-ins. That's, that's rad. I, I, I really honestly believe that's the way the motorcycle sales model should be still. You know, I mean, two parts. If, 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 if the utilitarian component of motorcycle sales really starts to take flood, then you need a salesperson. Right. If we're still where we are at right now in terms of like this is a hobby or like a um, cool lifestyle idea, then what you need is advocates that are telling you like, oh, you thought this was cool? Let me tell you why it's this cool. And right. like this is why you should get that bike. And this is why you should definitely ride this one. And then stop there. And then you go talk to that guy for numbers, for sure. Like, that's the way that motorcycle it, shows it, go. You, you know, that's so funny because cause, cause Kevin and Roger were the owners of that dealer. And we mm. came up with this system. And I'm telling you, this is 2007, 2008, something around there. And, and you're right. That's, that's how all dealers should be because you don't understand. I had a team of non-salespeople of just talking about all the cool shit all the conveniences, all the reasons with zero pitch. They had zero incentive to sell. They, the only incentive they had to sell was they liked me. They respected me. They knew that was my paycheck. Yeah. And of course we'd get them bonuses sure. or we'd, you know, fucking pizza day or whatever the case totally. is. And, and they got paid. They, they, they didn't get paid minimum wage. They got paid a decent amount, but it, it, it's just like, no customer felt stupid or intimidated speaking to them. And this is something that I've talked on this podcast many times. One of the problems is the Harley Davidson dealer culture, not all of them, because Matt Laidlaw has a great thing going on over there. And, and a bunch of others that I visited do decent but you still see that like, oh, we're, we work at a Harley shop and we know more than everybody and we don't get along with Robert. Them. Unfortunately, it's not just, it's, it's not just Harley culture either. It's, it's across the board with it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it is, it is that sort of, that is another barrier of entry is it's, it's, you're entering into the cool kids club by doing this, right? Yeah. Instead of being like. Yeah. Oh man, you have this interest in this. Oh, sick! This is why you should also be interested. You out. know about this. You know about that. Like, get you even more pumped. If you came in with like fifty percent stoke, the 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 quote unquote salesperson should leave you with ninety percent stoke, seventy percent. You know what I mean? Like that should be like brought up even more so of like how rad this is. Right. Especially in this market because we haven't really tapped into that utilitarian market yet. Like it's not meant for like, oh, you you do deliveries or you're just trying to like cut down on your, your, your commuter cost, bill or whatever, sense, blah, yeah. blah, blah. No, it is, it, it, we're trying to sell a dream here. So why are you trying to poo-poo this person's dream? Yeah, and like, it happens. Totally, and it totally, happens. Totally, There's totally, many totally. people that want to go and purchase a motorcycle Shit, it's not just the motorcycle. You're, you're right. I, I keep I keep knocking on Harley because that's my experience. Sure. But it, it's, it's just many dealers. Yeah. I, I I went today to the Burbank of BMW, the BMW Burbank dealer. It's a BMW, one or the other. It's backwards. Yeah. But uh, I went there. I, I feel many times like like today was the first day they were a little bit cooler than other days. And I bought a bunch of fucking gear. Mm. But there's been other times that I walk in there and I want to buy gear. And I'm like, hey, I got a question. Or, hey, what would you recommend? It's like, oh, yeah, just, you know, 
sometimes you should just go online and read reviews. And it's like, well, <laughs> what's the fucking point of being here? And, and, and you don't have that. You don't have that personal one-on-one for, for us. The writing is on the wall too so much because because even if you, if, if you're already sort of in the middle of like, well, it's, it's not just a stoke. We're also, we're not just selling an experience or a lifestyle or blah, blah, blah. We're actually selling a product that does a certain thing. You know, at one point in time, stereos and other electronics were like that. Right. Right. And then Best Buy popped up and you didn't have a person who was passionate about this stereo system that was telling you about it. You just had a person in a blue polo shirt who was trying to make a sale. And that was that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we, we don't, but they're, but they're, but they're my question. Okay. You're, you're the, you're the expert. You're the expert. So you have, you have, well, in the sense of your experience in marketing and, and that's what you focus on. So here's, here's my rebuttal. Um, Best Buy, perfect example. Mm. They, they, I think the reason they're so successful and they took out so many mom and pop shops out is because mom and pop shops out were only commission based only. So you, you would want to go see a stereo and you had this like, sales guy saying this is the best stereo and hurry now and you got to get this it's five thousand dollars why i i don't i don't want that i want something more simpler well you don't want that piece of shit you know because you know uh. like like it, it was difficult where best buy was neutral and i'll give you another example of this uh carmax look look what carmax did i i only argue that these sort of big box retailers were able to do that with their buying power they came in as a as a as a business plan with a franchise model but they're so fucking open i think that's why they're successful because they could do that because they had gigantic buying power those mom and pop mm, shops started started with a passion and then they saying. got pushed to do like well you get bigger incentives if you sell ours like the manufacturers are like we'll push ours and we'll give you a spiff so then they were like oh, this one is the one right right and then and then the, the that business model flipped for say a carmax or a best buy where they just were like we're going to buy everything at such a deep discount that it levels the playing field for everybody, but then it let the customer experience be as neutral or boring as right. well. You know what I mean? Like nobody was an enthusiast. Nobody, the, the, the sales force that they had on the floor weren't hi-fi enthusiasts or right. TV enthusiasts or whatever. You know, they were, they were folks just looking for a job that paid minimum wage and like, Movie cool. unit, cool. right? That's and the movie happens. unit gets some commissions yeah. and stuff. And actually, you know what? I want to take back the, the the comparing CarMax and Best Buy mm -hmm. because what CarMax did is, when you wanted to buy a used car, you would have to, let's say, in the internet age, you would go online and see the same car, and there'd be a difference of like seven to five thousand dollars, mm -hmm. a difference in price. And that's obviously because they bought it at a different price, mileage, this, that, that, that. that. But when you spoke to them, you could never get a direct answer. And I did car sales, you know, yeah. I did car sales and it's like, well, you can't give them the numbers over the phone because then they're just going to shop them. Yeah. You know, you got to tell them, hey, come over, test ride it, this, that, 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 that. So I think CarMax was just kind of like open and saying, here you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But took what, the haggle part out of yeah, it. Yeah, took the haggle part. But what you're saying about Best Buy and, 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 you know, the mom and pop shops. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So enthusiasts are still something that like pushes pushes the culture forward like that's it's important to keep it if if you from somehow ancillary thing this is again from a person who does you know maybe high level marketing of like hopefully 
doing something that implants an idea in somebody's brain to be like, motorcycles are tight. I should go check that out. In fact, I want to pursue that as something that I want. And then when they walk into the dealership and their experience is that of somebody of just like, wait, who are you? What the yeah. fuck do you do? You don't know anything? Like, what do you want? Like, what? Uh, you want this? And yeah. it's like you want a Sports or Dyna? I don't know which one's which. Around. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's not like it's a... Bullying. It's, it's not a warm, bullying. embracing situation. Yeah. If, 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 if I... If I was a brand new person and I walked into a dealership, I would want it to be... I would want it to feel as warm and embracing as like More a personal. pub. It's like, hey man, you're here? Tight. We're pumped you're here for whatever reason you're here. Why yeah. are you here? doesn't matter. You're T-shirts. Here. Cool. You're st- we're stoked to have you around, right? Like yeah. that should be the feeling. Um, but, but, but that's, that's not what's happening. And, and I don't know if it's corporate. I don't know. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not picking on Harley no more. Sure. I'm talking about all the manufacturers now because yeah. you made that They're excellent all guilty, point. guilty of it. Yeah. You know, well, whose fault is it? Is it, is it the manufacturers because of training to the dealers, to the franchises, or is it the franchise owner's fault or is it the manager's fault or is it? Argu- well, argu- well, all bullshit aside. Arguably, it, arguably, it starts at top. It it's it's all it starts it. at the top. Even but argu- I know, but it starts at the top. If you don't change the top, then you, you, what do you? If you don't make the change from the top, what are you going to expect? That it's going to start at the bottom and change everything? Yeah, that's not going to happen. So it's definitely corporate's fault. Fuck you guys. Here, here's also where I give. Just all, kidding. I, this is where <laughs> I give the top the the pass to. It's kind of a culture situation because motorcycling up to this point has been very you know counterculture and like like I said, you have to earn your stripes. Like, are you worthy of being here? You know right. what I mean? Like, are you just some dork person who who's going to use this as a fashion accessory? Which who whatever, if you want fuck, to, man. cool. Who gives but, a fuck? But He's going to spend there's, money there's at still, your location. There's still a bit of a hardcoreness that is like, are we accepting of the of the folks that that want to adapt to this? Right. If yes. Cool. So, I mean, it's it's almost. I think of I, I think of skate culture always as sort of the epicenter of of cool, where where it all resides from, right? So, skate culture for me has always been like the baseline of like, this is where fashion comes from. This is where musical taste comes from. This is where this is the epicenter of counterculture, right? And motorcycles right. really fits into that too. So there I'm okay with a bit a little bit of like a barrier of entry. Like, do you want this for the right reasons? All right, cool. Then 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 let you in. But like it still should be warm and bracing. I get f- that. I get that. Uh especially with clubs, riders, tracks, uh fucking groups. You know, I, I get that. But not at the dealer. No, 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 not no. at a dealer. If a person not, has not come the there first to impression, really, yes. yeah, not the first impression. Yeah, uh, not not when a person's purchasing their first bike and they're just kind of like, uh, look, hypothetically, hypothetically, let's say, let's say, uh, Maloa, you know, this is the girl that gave me the bike. Let's say Maloa didn't give me that bike, mm. and I didn't never had that ninja. All right, I did the dirt biking with Brandon and David and Robbie. And Megan, you know, total dirt bike names, right? Yep. Robbie, David, so hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I love those guys. But um, but let's say I did that, but then I never bought it my own motorcycle. I bought the dirt bike, sold it back, and then Maloa didn't send me that bike. Now I walk into a dealer, and the dealer's like, like you know, you know, we're busy. Do you know what you want? Or when you know what you want, you come to us. And I'm like, well, fuck, I have no idea what I want. Okay, I'm just gonna look around, and and I left. 
if I left, I have purchased, I mean, over, I, I want to say over 30, 40 bikes. Yeah, I have purchased yeah. a shitload of bikes. Yeah. And, and I've gotten many people to ride. And then I worked at a dealer and sold a lot of fucking bikes. Yeah. If that, if, if that was my scenario and I never got into motorcycles, I can honestly say there's probably at least 50 motorcycles, if not, and whatever chain that led to, of riders that wouldn't be riding. Totally. Yeah, and you're, sales. Talking, you're talking about because of your influence, the, the, the people that you've Well, I'm talking about because I didn't have to deal with that bullshit, and somebody gave me a motorcycle, uh. and I got, well, I probably bought it for 600 bucks, and they gave me a motorcycle, and I was already kind of hooked, so I was already kind of part of the group. But if, if I didn't have that experience, and I had to go to a dealer, and I got treated this way, maybe I never would have gotten into motorcycles the way that I'm into motorcycles. To, to that point, I think that's the, the, the biggest thing that dealerships are missing sometimes is that, is that like, if you get a person that's in that's sort of brand new, you have such a extra, you have such a rad opportunity to to take that person in, embrace them, get them on a bike, and then watch them be the event. It's almost a pyramid scheme, right? It's a pyramid. Like scheme, if you yeah. get if you can get that guy hooked, guess how many of their friends are going to get hooked? And if they know that you're the rad person that is, that's got the dope fucking hookup. Who are they going to send them back to? You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's, it, it literally is just like that. It, it, it's, um, it, it kind of blows my mind sometimes the folks that just think of it as transactional and are done with it at that point. Yeah. They, they, they don't fucking care. Yeah. I, I really think now, now that I said it out loud and, and, and I'm reliving it, I really do believe that that customer experience manager, that's not a sales guy and just talk about cool shit and just just answers all the the silly que the questions we think are silly mm. but are so important to the consumer, you know, and and just kind of educate them, cause cause look look how far deep my customer experience representatives were. Mm. Not only did they talk about the bikes and the rides and what they do and what they like and what their hobbies and customizing it, but they would even take them to the apparel section and say, look, this is my favorite helmet, but let me show you the difference between. So it was this one guy just doing so much stuff that. By the time they came to me, I mean, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but I'm talking about lay down. Totally. Lay down. Totally. Wallet fully open. What do you Here's want? my ID. Run the credit. Can I have it. your number? Can I follow you the on Instagram? Where are you going riding next week? So, <laughs> so after Monterey County Harley-Davidson, we moved down to Los Angeles, and then I started working for Van Nuys Harley. They mm. closed down, and then they opened up in Santa Clarita. But when, we, when I was in Van Nuys Harley-Davidson, you know, the, the same thing. It was more difficult to sell because now it was it was a hole in the wall. It was an old dealer. It's, it, it had been there for 47 years, but nobody knew it was there. Mm. And, and sales were tougher. But then comes 2008. 2008, when the housing market crashes, it was crazy how many people came to the dealer with their wife and their kids and the husband's like, I'm here trying to hold a straight face. I'm here to buy a motorcycle to save money on gas and insurance and fucking oil. And I'm like, okay. We got I you, bro. I, th that was the only <laughs> other time, which was like for like four months, that I sold a shitload of fucking bikes, mm. you know, because, you know, the, the Economics, wife was giving blessings. Yeah. Honey, I need to, you know, it's expensive to have a car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was so silly. But that, that was the only time. Outside of that, it's just it's just a, a big hurdle to get across for, for a new buyer, a new purchaser. You you touched on something a little bit earlier, and I, I kind of want to go back to of, in terms of, of marketing towards um, 
maybe a, a more diverse faction of, of people. Uh, I kind of struggle with with the reflection of of how um, representative the marketing in the motorcycle industry reflects the the folks that actually ride. And I was curious from your your perspective is you know um, you're Cuban, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Like as a person, I'm American, but my parents are totally Cuban. Same. My nationality, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just yeah. to make sure, because some people are like, "Go back to fucking Cuba." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm curious, it, it, like from the from the marketing side of things, how do you feel about the the diversity in marketing now? Do you think that the motorcycle industry could do a better job speaking 100%. to folks to to one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I, I I mean, I can't talk about other markets. I can't talk about the black market, the Asian sure. market, the you know Mexican, you know. But in the Hispanic market, I I see, I see, I I don't see any any marketing whatsoever uh, yeah. for for the Hispanic market, and and I don't understand why there there's there's money in it. There's fine. There's credit. There's financing. There's hobbyists. This uh, Monday, I went. I was very excited. Did, were you aware about what happened Monday? What happened on Monday? It was a uh, it was a track day, Harley Davidson oh, yeah. Yeah, only yeah, event, yeah. you know, and it was it was the first one ever, mm-hmm. you know, so it was very exciting. And one cat that I met, he's uh, he was Colombian and he has an electric motorcycle and he the the Harley the Livewire. Mm-hmm. He has the Livewire and he rode co- cross country on a Livewire. The thing only gets a hundred miles and then you got to charge it hundred miles that much. Yeah. And uh, I'm gonna have him on the podcast soon. But, uh, you know, he's Colombian, and, and he's going to take it to South America, and he's breaking all these records. And Harley's acknowledging him, and they even, like, got him a new bike because he put, like, 15000 They're starting to have some issues. Yeah. So, so they give him a new bike. But I'm hearing this, you know, and, and he has an accent in English, and, you know, and I'm like, like, why isn't this blowing up? Like, why aren't yeah. more people paying attention to this? You know, like, like I, I, I just still feel many, many different races or you know cultures are, are not being targeted as much and it or, does, or, or represented that's, or represented that's, that's the wild part to me like i got like, a guy on my instagram yeah i don't know him at all yeah. but all i know is he's from singapore and he rides harleys yeah and, and he's a he's such a fanatic i wish i knew i would totally give a shout out but he's such a fanatic and i'm like dude this guy's in singapore riding you know of you know he has his harley vest he has his patches from singapore the ones they created and i'm like this, this guy's like hardcore rider and I, I get it in singapore he's known but outside of that like that's not they don't they don't embrace him they don't wrap their arms around him yeah i, I, like I, I felt a, that too Go well, ahead. i'm sorry one more yeah even even like bmw bmw you see you see people riding and you see bmw taking advantage of promoting these videos of mongolia of you know south america ride of u.s ride of canada ride like you see these you see some brands that kind of take advantage of of all the markets they're in but uh not all brands do yeah 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 I, I agree. I mean, from, from a marketing perspective, I've always thought that like a big way to to invite folks into your brand is to show those folks doing that, right? Right. Like so if if you see an image of a person who looks like you doing a thing that you thought you might be able to do, 
it resonates it. way more than just like seeing a regular photo right like so um yeah man I, it's uh it's interesting to 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 see especially now um how how brands are are um activating towards folks that in wrapping their arms around like just well, they're kind of defaulting to what they're familiar. You know, I'll, I'll give another example. There was a point. I know I'm going to get my ass kicked because I said this right now, Yikes. but fuck it. There was a point where I was like, you know what? Girls shouldn't ride bikes because I don't play with Barbies. Sure. But now I'm seeing some badass fucking girls doing stunts and killing it. And I'm like, well, fuck, guys. Yeah. If girls can ride like that. But you know what? Of course they can ride like that. They do ballet. They're flexible. They're light. They're perfect for motorcycles. Why aren't we targeting as a, as a business professional? Why wouldn't we target to the female market? To to that point specific, I feel like the best MotoGP rider to come is going to be a female. Because if you look at the physique, like it's like it's like horses. It's horses. It's, it's like horses. It, like, the, or the, a gymnast. Or a gymnast. Like upper body, upper body strength, small displacement, and and, and cool lower calm, body strength, tight. cool calm, collected brain patterns too. Like if you're just like yeah. mellow thinking. Well, that's what like, I'm saying. Like if you if you think about a woman doing, you know, do, like like a ballet. Yes. You know how how organized and how they move and how they totally. And what I mean by like tight legs, I'm talking about like you know all yes. all the body strength is there, especially if you're gonna get into stunts. Totally. It's so much. They have the advantage, but. Yeah, I get it. The writers are like, fuck that shit. Right. But you know what? F Sorry, writers. Yeah. It's not all about you guys. Totally. As a business, look, that 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 that's what it is, bro. For Envy Augusta, <laughs> I think you guys should go balls out on the on the female market. The yeah. female and the Hispanic market and, and touch something that you guys haven't done. If if we get back into the MotoGP, we need a, a female Hispanic rider. Sure. Imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With a sister. Totally. <laughs> totally. Cool, man. I, I think we figured out a new strategy. I think we have some new ideals out there. Um, I, I really enjoyed We met, what, it was four weeks ago now? Yeah. Was it four weeks ago? Or? It was about four weeks ago. Uh, yeah. Yeah, on, on the ride up uh, to the rock store, yeah? To the rock. Well, originally we met up with uh, with Mark Gamble's thing. Uh, yes. L LA Moto. Yep. LA Motos place. Shout they out set to up a Mark post. Gamble. Yep. Shout out to Mark Gamble. He's been on the podcast. Oh, cool. Oh, my God. We we had never met him. Wasn't even. I, I have no fucking idea who that guy is. He just sat down right here like you and I. And man, like it, it was like like we grew up together. That's it was awesome. insane. It's awesome. But uh, shout out to Mark Gamble. Shout out to LA Moto for doing those open rides. That's how we met. We mm -hmm. were on our way to somewhere else and then we ended up breaking off and went to the rock store oh. um we went to uh what was it called um that restaurant the uh, old place yeah the old place the, the yep. place was the old place and then we broke off while they continued up malibu yep. um i'm happy you came on uh we mentioned I'm, I'm gonna document this sure you said maybe i could speak to your mom yeah, absolutely because your mom's a badass yeah she's an instructor one more time your mom's been an instructor trainee she's trained the military yeah yeah Can so my, my mom's background she she like i said she uh she raced uh speedway in the 70s she raced flat track in the 90s she's currently a msf instructor what a um, great transition huh we yeah. went from female marketing yeah. into your mom that was perfect totally just and like we wrote it down <laughs> we did not write that down my, my mom is rad too because like <laughs> like like 
she started riding when she was 17. She was that girl that like rode to the beach in her bikini with no helmet and just like she got into it. it it's it's awesome having her as my mom and then becoming a marketer because she's one of those people who like didn't have none of her her folks were into it she was influenced by an outside influence right so right. if what i'm trying to do is influence folks who have never maybe thought about riding motorcycles or could be kind of on the ancillary and like look motorcycles are tight too and they're like fuck yeah that's yeah. what i want to do she's she is like test subject number one for that right yeah she comes from you know a horse riding background or whatever she saw she saw a te television program in the late 60s early 70s it was called Along Came Bronson, and that's what influenced her to ride. And then, uh, yeah, she bought her first bike. Uh, her, her family luckily didn't uh, object. She took her first ride across country. That's crazy because this was older times. Yeah, totally. Woman rider, only Hell's Angels and Outlaws were riding motorcycles. Totally. And it got accepted. And it's cool that she did it, but it's even cooler that her family, her, her your grandparents accepted it. I don't think that they had, I don't know if they like knew how to object to her. Like my mom is like a force, you know what I mean? Like you'll, if, if you talk to her, she'll, she's very sweet when you talk to her, but like the real her is a force. So like, if you try to tell her no about anything, she'll be like, I can't wait to talk to her. Yeah, yeah, cool. And she's in Japan now. Uh, no, she's, no. she's now in Florida. So her and her husband sold their condo, like, maybe four or five years ago and are now living that RV life where they have an RV, they tow their bikes behind in a trailer and then just go to wherever it's rad. Um, a year ago I met them up in Alaska. They That's were, the true American dream. Yeah, it's not totally. buying a house and settling totally. for 30 fucking years and paying in yeah. debt. It's being free and still being adventurous, you know, late into your sixties and seventies and eighties and nineties. I hope the sun goes down on me while I'm, uh, I'll have a helmet on my head as well. Yeah. Yeah. At an older age. Totally. At an older age. That was, um, I'm going to give a shout out to a good friend of mine, Robert. Um, we called him fridge. He passed, but, um, you know, he was, uh, he was 68 at the time, 67, 68. And I was having a conversation with him and he says, uh, he had a badass collection of Harleys and, you know, he had like probably seven bikes or something mm -hmm. at the time. And he goes, Robert, I feel so old. And I'm like, but fridge, bro, you did it. You yeah. know? And I, he's like, did what? And I go like, like you made it, like you had kids and then your kids had kids and, and now you're still riding motorcycles and you're still getting tattoos. Like you fucking did it, yeah. bro. Like, like understand people don't get to that age or people don't see the things they're supposed to see. And, and he smiled and he's like, you're fucking right, man. And unfortunately, probably a year later, he passed, mm. he passed. Uh, it, it was a, it was a procedure that went wrong. You know, like it was, the, it was a, the dumbest procedure yeah. that should have been like an in and out. Like you go to the doctor, you come out and that's it. And he passed and it was, it was very unfortunate. Bro, but if you had that conversation with him and it made him be like, you know, you're right. That's, that's it was my last conversation. I get goosebumps about it. Yeah. You know, I get goosebumps about it. That's it, right. It, but uh, a shout out to him. A shout out to you. I appreciate you, man. You're a rad dude. We'll be doing this again. And until until next time, man. We'll definitely be we right. Uh, we did uh, over an hour and a half. Rad. All right, brother. Cheers. Oh, I got to pass by and write one of those MV Augustas. Absolutely. On exactly. record. On record. On For record. Sure. <laughs>
thank you very much to all the listeners and subscribers, followers, and and everybody sharing the podcast. I just want to give out a big thank you. Um, I love doing this. I'm doing this because I want to learn more. And as I'm learning, I want to take you guys on this journey. Please make sure to share this with whoever you can. Um, if you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe. If you haven't followed, followed. Check out the Instagram at Ride Boundless on Instagram as well as Facebook and Twitter. Until then, ride safe, ride hard, ride boundless.